So Freaks, it's your boy Marty Ben here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. A little over a year since we last sat down with Monsieur Mamadov. He is back on the podcast to talk about uh, a book he just published. A book by the title of This Book Will Save You Time. Diving into the concept of inflation and how your time is not valued correctly under a fiat monetary system. Uh, we jump into how the book was made why he made it, how he's donating the profits to uh, Bitcoin development, and and much more. I think you guys will particularly like this episode uh, if you found the uh, J.K. Rowling Bitcoiner back and forth Twitter royale yesterday. Interesting. Believe it or not, we recorded this episode before that happened, and it'll be pretty funny uh, if you guys were paying attention. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by our good friends, at the Cash App. You freaks already know all about them. All right, they're helping you stack sats, they're helping you sell sats, they're helping you receive sats, they're helping you send sats. Also, they're making sats to standard. I've officially made sats to standard on the Cash App. If you're on the iPhone, go to the, the money button, hit Bitcoin, where like the deposit withdrawal is. You can change the units um, from Bitcoin to sats. Do it. I did it. On top of the sats, you can uh, stack slivers of stonks if you want. You don't have to. I know a lot of you don't want to and you don't see the value in stacking stonks. Slivers of stonks at that. But the options there, optionality is good. If you want the option, there's some freaks out there that do want the option. You can now stack slivers of stonks on the Cash App. What's a sliver of a stonk? It's, a little, it's as little as $1 of a stonk. You don't have to buy the whole thing. If it's too expensive, you can't afford it. Buy a sliver of it, as little as $1. Cash app investing is directly connected to your bank account, so there's no three to four day waiting periods. Okay, you can start investing today. On top of that, cash app investing is a subsidiary of Square and member SIPC. As always, use the code STACKINGSATS. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Use the code STACKINGSATS. Enjoy this episode. Happy Saturday, rip freaks. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Damn it. Oh, no, we're recording. What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here. Uh, lovely Thursday afternoon. Vibes are high where I'm at. A lot of calls this morning. Very happy to finally be sitting down for this interview. I've been waiting for it for quite some time. The uh, the agreement to, to record this podcast was made months ago, but it was, uh, it was the date final date of recording was be determined by the launch of a book. A book by the name of this book will save you time by our guest, Monsieur Mamadov. Monsieur, how are you doing? Hey, Marty. Hey, Matt. I'm really happy to be here once again. And just before we begin, I'd like to say that I'm really grateful for what you guys do and for this podcast. It has given me so much. It has really been a guiding light as I started listening to you guys from the very beginning of the rabbit hole journey. And second of all, 
uh, I wouldn't have been here for the second time if it wasn't for that episode that we recorded almost exactly a year ago where this idea was born. So it's, I think it's really cool that we're doing this again. No, I'm pumped. And like I was telling you before we hit record, that episode is the second most popular episode we have uh, ever recorded right behind Jack Dorsey. It's Jack than you, you're number two. How's that, how's that make you feel? Well, that I'm in really great company and that actually, that's pretty unbelievable because you've had so many incredible guests, but I think that's exactly the reason why I decided to write this, this book, because this, this idea really, I understood that it resonated with a lot of people and I had to just make something and make sure that other people could share this information with their friends and family. Yeah, no, it's definitely one of the episodes that resonates most strongly, most strongly, strongest with, uh, with people who listen to it. And it's actually the episode I tell people to listen to first, um, is if you want to understand the concept of, of Bitcoin and why it's important, it's because it really relates to time and the value of your time more importantly. Um, and understanding that is imperative for understanding the importance of why we Bitcoin and why Bitcoin is imperative moving forward as we move into the digital age. So I guess we'll just jump into it. This book will save you time. I've read through it, um, threw a couple edits at you. You published the Kindle a couple months ago and you published the, uh, the physical copy, the physical paperback version uh, a couple days ago on the 15th. Is that yesterday or that was yesterday, yeah. Yeah, the 13th. Um, what was it like writing this book? What went into it? Um, what did you expand on from the episode that we recorded last year? Absolutely. So that episode, that was such a such a memorable time. I look back at that day when we recorded it, and um, it was a great experience because I, I left uh, with a lot of thoughts, and I continued to think think about the topic the all of the next year and I had a lot of conversations with all different kinds of people uh, people like Robert Breedlove who has also expanded on the topic uh, Ben Prentice who, who with whom we share ideas a lot and this idea was just so awe-inspiring that I thought that it had to be formulated in a in a in, in a format where people can easily share because like a three hours podcast a three hour podcast that we recorded last year it was amazing but I, most people don't have time nobody has the time for that uh, just I mean in terms of just like your average friend he's not going to listen for three hours but reading a short book that puts it in a more uh, concise and a structured organized manner I think that's that's definitely something. Uh, so today I'd like to start with saying that uh, before, before I get, get into the book, I'd like to say the following. The reason why I wrote it is because I think that uh, Bitcoin is basically a collection of memes. And we have an, all of us, all of us Bitcoiners, we have an arsenal of memes, so, so, sort of cultural defense mechanisms that we can use to fend for ourselves. And uh, these memes that you, you know, all of these memes. we'll get to them just in, in a second. But first of all, I'd like to 
uh, say, what are memes? So do you guys remember that uh, game of the of broken telephone that children used to play? Whisper down the lane, something like exactly. that. You whisper down the lane, and then uh, by the time the last person hears it, the message is completely distorted. So basically, memes are the ideas that they that stick with people best, and they're really easy to understand. And uh, some are stronger than others. They resonate with people. And I think we're basically in, a lot of people have talked about this uh, uh, on Bitcoin Twitter, and we are basically fighting a meme war. We're, this is meme warfare. And just to recap some of the memes that I think that they deserve, uh, deserve a lot of attention and praise because they make up a uh, fundamental structure of the sociological phenomenon that is Bitcoin. Uh, orange coin good, number go up. That's very, that's like, that's the basis. Everyone's here for number go up, of course. Bitcoin fixes this. No matter what happens, you, re you retweet and with the comment, Bitcoin fixes. That these things, they, even if they are uh, in, indirect, they, like, it's just something you say and it's so easy to understand. Then, of course, we have stay humble stack sats that like I up applaud you guys for for making this a thing because I, I can't imagine how many stacks were actually huddled because of what you guys said on your episodes. It's, it's incredible. That was like two years yeah. of way too long Twitter threads on dollar cost averaging and not using leverage. And I got it distilled into four words. Yeah. Exactly. This, like this is... This is why I'm here because like this, you basically distill it and you optimize it and then you launch it. And then, and then the next thing you know, everyone is talking about it because it's just so easy to replicate and pass down that, that lane. Um, another, of course, we can't, especially in the light of recent events, money printer go brr. That's, <laughs> that's fucking huge. Um, what WTF happened in 1971 popularized by our friends, Ben Prentice and Colin, the heavily armed clown. I'm a big fan of what, what these guys are doing. They, they recently appeared on the podcast, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, right? Last week. Yeah, you guys can yeah, go find that. That. that was a great episode. Great episode yeah, and like great episode website. 56 or 57. I think that, I yeah. think that episode, that, that website is extremely underrated. Like it really red pills people and it doesn't even have to mention Bitcoin anywhere and it just straight up red pills them. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually what I wrote my uh, thesis in college about. It was basically the effects of the cancellation of the gold window by Nixon. Uh, it was it was a pretty long paper. I actually sent it to Ben the, the other day. Uh, but basically, these guys were able to meme that into into something that people can understand. And I love like every, every time they appear on a podcast that that's a must listen. So shout out to you guys. You're doing, you're, you're doing the, a great job. Can I they got Eric Weinstein something? talking about it. Uh, yeah. They got Eric Weinstein talking yeah. about it. The funniest part is on that tweet yeah. that yeah. Eric Weinstein retweeted. Uh, someone responded. There was like a bunch of responses underneath that were like, uh, the chart needs to be adjusted for inflation. And you see like Ben in there <laughs> and heavily armed clown like, Dude, that's the whole point of the website. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's hilarious. So basically we have all these memes, right? And the beauty of Bitcoin is that we can talk about it in so many different ways. 
And I think that's, that, that's definitely something we have to keep in mind because especially when you talk to no coiners or just new people, you have to realize that every person is different. Everyone cares about different things and you can maybe change your, adjust your language a bit or shift the focus of, uh, of the conversation, but keep the main idea the same. And the idea is that Bitcoin is the answer. Bitcoin fixes whatever the hell you're worried about in one way or another, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, gold 2.0, unstoppable money, a savings vehicle, or the real Occupy Wall Street. Everyone, like, in one way or another, Bitcoin can help every single person. And it's, it, it can be difficult to communicate that, but I feel like if you try, it is very possible. And on a personal side note, like, I feel... Uh, just like any other person who has been interested in Bitcoin for a number of years, it has only been natural to me to share and talk to my friends about uh, Bitcoin, the friends who have nothing to do with, with the space, right? And you face this difficulty, right, of communicating the value proposition to other people. And some of the things that you usually say to a friend, like, okay, so there's this amazing thing, it's decentralized. There's only 21 million, million of them, blah, 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 right? And by the time you say that, you've probably lost them. <laughs> and that's kind of, kind of sad because they won't get to witness what we are witnessing. But at the same time, I feel like, uh, you know how you get, a, you get a series of reactions. The unimpressed know-it-all who will say, oh, God, Bitcoin, really? Haven't you heard, haven't you read the news? Bitcoin is dead. It's a bubble. Or... I don't know, the apathetic, oh, that's really cool. Okay, got to go. So yeah. you, get, you get all these answers. And to be honest with you guys, you can't blame these people. You simply can't. Uh, and frankly, like, why do we expect a person to understand such a profound and unprecedented uh, piece of innovation after hearing about it once or twice from a random news anchor, right? And like, it's, it's unfair to really say that, oh my God, they don't understand. Because like, it's, it's hard, it's not, it's not that easy, right? It's very... Why, why, like, why would the average person really care about it if they know, have no understanding of how money works, if they know nothing about central banking, if they never read Nick Zabo, they don't know what rice stones are, they don't know monetary history. Like at the best, they probably think that money is still backed by gold. That's like, that's actually pretty good. Like, you know, because most people don't even know how money works. And most importantly, like, People don't understand what scarcity is, demand, how, the, how demand and supply works, and like, why do we expect them to understand Bitcoin the very first time we tell them about it on a drunken Friday night at a pizza parlor after a bar hopping session, you know? And like, I studied economics at, in a university, uh, and most of the things that I needed to know about Bitcoin to, in order to appreciate Bitcoin, I had to learn outside of class on my own. Like, even that didn't really help me. Do you, do you feel the same way? Totally. Somebody who studied economics in college as well, I mean, definitely learned more outside of the classroom than I did in uh, the online sources, whether it be YouTube, Twitter. Uh, like you, you don't get to learn anything that's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, no, and I also agree it's very daunting trying to explain this stuff to people, especially 
on the first touch, uh, their first exposure to the idea. And, and it is, yeah, you, you feel like Charlie uh, Day and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when he's when he's got that Pepe Silvia um, conspiracy going. You're just like all over the place. Well, you got these nodes, you got these miners. There's only 21 million. Nobody can ever change it. And the governments can't, can't take it down. Uh, you, you sound like a crazy person. Yeah, exactly. And in addition to that, like, how much information, how much false information uh, has been communicated to all these people, like an average person about Bitcoin that is absolutely wrong and so misleading that they have to deal with and they come and you come to them with that package already. So you have to deal with that, which is also quite sad. So basically after realizing all of this, I came to the conclusion that if you tell someone about Bitcoin, you have to relate it to them on some kind of personal level first for them to care unless they relate it to themselves in one way or another they will probably not fall down the rabbit hole because it's just you have to to understand why why we bitcoin you have to see some kind of struggle in the world if you live in a, in the western world where everything when you where you uh have your i don't know inflation of five percent it can be hard to really see it Although it's there, but it always kind of, it is designed so that you don't really see it. But if you look at the big picture, it's there. So basically. Uh, well, what you're getting at is you need to create empathy for the person you're speaking with. You have to get them to care and get on their same level. And it's actually a literary trick that I learned in college, taking a writing course. And you actually learned it by watching a documentary, Food Inc., which is about the, the, um, the terrible nature of like factory farming um and fast food um of like obviously meat eaters here i I prefer grazing cattle but that that documentary regardless of whether you agree with the content or not the creator of that documentary he tries to create empathy in the first scene by eating a burger at a restaurant and saying like hey like i like burgers too um even though i'm going to go through this whole documentary uh explaining why some parts of the food industry are fucked up um, I am like you, I eat burgers. And so when trying to explain Bitcoin, it's probably best to try to find an empathy touch point first, which I think is what you're getting yeah. at there. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're definitely on point. And like coming back to memes, I think that the memes, they, in order to work really well, they have to be as relatable as possible. And unfortunately, some of the memes that are popular they're kind of hard to relate to for a person who doesn't understand all the above mentioned stuff about, I don't know, like money supply and fed and all these things. Like to most people, it doesn't mean anything like the money printers or, or whatever, like, you know, you, you need to understand these basic concepts of scarcity that for some reason, nobody really teaches, you know, and basically just to recap, from one year ago when we when we were here uh, time is your only scarce resource you've got on average 600,000 hours that is 70 years an average lifespan that's it not just to think about that you don't even have 1 million hours in your life around 600,000 and obviously we already have less because we've lived a considerable chunk of our lives and every day you exchange your precious time for pieces of paper. And unlike your time, which is truly scarce, these pieces of paper 
are created out of thin air every day, as we were reminded in the last few months with the QE, infin QE infinity and the trillions that were printed. So tell me now, why would you exchange the most valuable, the only thing that you really have, strictly limited number of hours on this planet for something whose supply is virtually infinite? Just to remind uh, our listeners what we were trying to, uh, trying to talk about exactly one year ago. And this is the premise of the book. And like for this reason, you should reconsider and start learning about Bitcoin whose supply is similarly scarce on like the money that we use in the traditional system. No, that's, I actually love the, oh, yeah. the title of the book. This book will save you time with the B with the Bitcoin B. I think it's genius. And I, yeah, so I sent it to my brother who's obviously knows I'm into Bitcoin. Uh, he's not, I mean, he's, he's got some, he stacked some sats in the past, but like has never like really dove in to, uh, he has more recently, but, um, before, um, before like the having and all that, I never really like did too much research, but I, I sent your book over, um, to him and he read it in like an hour and was like, yo, this, I get it now. Like actually I like, get it. Like this makes a lot of sense. It was concise. Um, it was to the point and it was in a digestible manner that, that really helped me understand why we're doing this. And let's dive into that. Like this book will save you time. How does Bitcoin save you time? Does it open up, uh, since you are able to better store your value in a currency that respects, um, a, a supply cap is that, uh, the accumulation of wealth open open up the ability for you to um, sort of rest on your laurels does it allow you to focus on what you want to work on instead of getting caught up in the rat race um, which is which one may consider wasting time when compared to something that they could be doing that they 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 like and they want to consider that time wasted how does bitcoin save you time yeah exactly just like you said uh we live in a system where uh, our money is, it should be, it should be, it should exist in a limited supply, but it does not. And we have to, we have to deal with that. Uh, and the way we pay for that is the fact that uh, we spend a lot more time uh, working in our lives than we should be. Because every year, let's say uh, you have a, a currency that you're paid in has an inflation rate of 5%. That's actually not that bad. That's, probably what the dollar inflation rate usually is on average. And once again, like if you think about it, just oh, 5%, not too bad, right? It's my money. If I have $100, 5%, next year I'll have 95. I can live with that. But once you compound that, once you consider the com compound effect, it will only take, it will take you less than 15 years for that hundred dollars to lose 50% of its value, which means that for all these years that you've been working and putting away money for whatever you were saving up for 15 years later, half of that money is gone. Like, and just, just to use an example, like God forbid this happens to anybody, but if somebody goes into a coma for a number of years and they come like 10 years later, they come out of it. Oh, by the way, uh, yeah. Uh, because of inflation, half of your wealth is now gone. Yeah, the uh, the modern central bankers are not thinking of the man in the coma. We like to think about the man in the coma on this podcast, <laughs> and you got to think about how you're affecting his purchasing power. I mean, it's a hyperbole, but nevertheless, 
it's this effect is real and um this is like this idea it i think it really resonates and you know when i was writing the book i did not want to include the word bitcoin into the title on purpose uh because once again like i said a lot of people they have been uh fed all this crappy information about bitcoin on the mainstream media and they, their understanding of it is so so perverted and so skewed that whenever you try to approach them and talk about bitcoin they're they already have the preconceptions and the prejudices that make them say, oh my god no, no no not bitcoin please don't sell me this whatever the the news anchor told me it is ponzi a bubble whatever it is right so that was that was done on purpose i did not include the word bitcoin so that people don't have this uh don't have the prejudices when they open the book they they start with something new but of course uh the word book and this book will save you time the letter b is is a is a bitcoin b so although the title doesn't have the word bitcoiners will understand what's what, what waits for the what what they can uh, expect inside the book right yeah and uh so yeah and to be honest like first seven or eight chapters they they don't talk about bitcoin yeah i was just about to say and that. i think that was one of my favorite parts yeah. one of my yeah, yeah and of course that's also on the on purpose because like if just like we've said previously if the person doesn't understand all these different things the, the things that their time is being literally taken away from them because of a money that, whose supply is being uh inflated and whose value is disappears uh whose uh years are literally thrown out of the window because their savings uh they are they're not doing the job correctly like how can they if they don't understand the concepts such as scarcity uh attention economy uh they won't be able to appreciate bitcoin for what it really is so i only start talking about bitcoin closer to the end of the book which i think allows a reader to really ch choose for themselves for themselves and i think that most people they they do see value once they once they are able to get a grasp of all those other concepts yeah, another favorite part of this book will save you time uh that i loved is the 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 part on shrinkflation and really visualizing the shrinkflation that that has exist existed and persisted oh, man. in our world i'm getting there I'm, I'm getting there i want to talk about it that's that's actually my favorite part of the book as well yeah and i know you you you're a big fan of this topic nobody really talks about it it's, it's it's crazy how like it's it's such a fascinating thing but you never really hear anyone say much about it you know yeah and it's it's per, it's pervasive like it, it is undeniable that the even it like that's the insidious thing about inflation is that it manifests itself in many different ways whether it be overt um, devaluing of your purchasing power um, that shows up in prices by in, via increased prices or the more insidious um, then inflation is everywhere my friend yeah it's everywhere more, more insidious <laughs> ways is shrinkflation where they may keep the price the same so you think you're not uh the price has prices haven't risen but you're getting less the good that you're paying for and you may not even realize it at the time exactly like so apart from the inflation 
and the fact that prices are constantly rising because of increased amount of money in circulation. Uh, there are many ways, just like you said, that corporations try to hide the effects of a decreased purchasing power of a currency. And shrinkflation is perhaps the most fascinating example. It's basically the fact that as, as more money is created and as currency loses its value over time, producers of goods reduce the size and the quality of their products in order to somewhat maintain the prices. And in fact, I have a, uh, a really cool uh, diagram in, inside the book that will actually, it's like one of my favorite things. It basically shows all the different, uh, it's, a, it's a study that shows how different chocolate bars in the UK have changed in size and in price from 2014 to 2018. And for example, in 2014, a Snickers bar weighed 232 grams and cost uh, 74 pence, so 0.74 pounds. Uh, and by 2018, literally in just four years, the weight of the same Snickers bar shrunk to 167 grams and its cost rose to 1.26 pounds. Within only four years, the Snickers bar became 28% smaller and 71% more expensive. So we only really see the 71% more expensive usually, right? But like, and I actually thought about it and that's true. Like, remember like, like 20 years ago when we were young, you would buy a Snickers bar and it was actually like really big. And now it's just like, becomes smaller and smaller, but it becomes smaller in such a, in such, in just by, by just like a few percent every year that you don't notice it and you get used to that smaller and smaller size. So it's just so insidiously hidden from, from, from our eyes but it's right in front in front of us it's the frog boiling in water right like you're, you're just just enough each year where you don't notice it until you wake up like five years you're like wait a second were these weren't these bigger like a decade <laughs> ago but then on top of that like the quality like focusing on the quality exactly. too like blender that somebody bought in the 50s or 60s would last 20 30 years these days you're you're lucky if it lasts five years so you're you're paying maybe even less today for some of these these hard goods probably more though um but they're not lasting as long you're not getting you're not getting uh, as much bang for your buck oh yeah not not even that but like coming back to like products that we consume uh the the size and the price are objective criteria that we can judge right that we can judge by but the quality, like who knows what kind of, I don't know, caramel they're, they're using. Uh, maybe they switched to like a much cheaper version of all the, uh, all the ingredients for a Snickers bar, you know? And like, we'll never know that, but it's probably there too, like most definitely, because it's just the easiest thing to hide away from, from, from the eyes. Actually, my, one of my favorite examples is the, you know, you know the Toblerone bar? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In 2016, it was redesigned and Two peak, you know how like Toblerone is basically like it has, it's in the shape of like these, uh, the mountains, the Alps, yeah, it has good. these peaks, right? And two peaks were removed and the distances between each peak was made larger. And this design, this was the design change that like, is just a, the most, the craziest example of shrinkflation. Yeah. It's like not even funny. <laughs> no, and, then, and again, in the insidious nature of these games that you play like you get shrinkflation and the quality and the size of the goods is one aspect and then they like you you said the true rate of inflation is probably five percent but if you look at the cpi 
that's not the case. And that's another really evil part about the narrative around inflation these days is the metrics used to measure it and how they're manipulated. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually touch upon that in, in the book as well. Uh, how the, let me see one second. Yeah. So basically like the consumer price index, it's, it's constantly every year. Like I didn't know about that, but it turns out that, uh, it's adjusted the consumer habits, whatever those are, quote unquote, consumer habits are adjusted. Uh, the basket, I mean, the basket of goods is adjusted every year to reflect consumer habits. And clearly this is such a gray area. Like there's so much room here to adjust it in a way that will fit whoever's agenda it needs to fit, you know, like how can you trust these numbers? Like 2% inflation, um, targets are, uh, are met yes of course <laughs> yeah and yeah they switch out like a quality ribeye with rough rice which uh obviously does not give you the same amount of nutrients or yeah or get, soy <laughs> or soy exactly <laughs> something that gives you tits is is switched in for for something that keeps you nice and healthy um and it's so how has the book been received? Like, do you have, like, obviously Bitcoiners are going to buy it. They want to put it on their bookshelf of Bitcoin books. Uh, I'm more worried about like people like my brother. Like it was, uh, I have one anecdote in my mind of somebody I showed the book to and immediately resonated with. Uh, are you seeing this as well as more and more people have read the Kindle? Definitely. Definitely. Uh, and th that's the reason why I was ex so excited about the paperback copy because like, the purpose uh i i wrote the book of course the bitcoiners are uh going to read it and they, they they'll they'll probably they'll hopefully enjoy it but the main audience are the no coiners i believe and the people who maybe heard about it but never were, but were never approached from the uh from the from the side in which they are able to understand from from this accessible uh from this accessible uh, point of view. And from what I hear so far, although it's only been, um, it hasn't been that much because I can't wait for like, for a Bitcoiner to basically give it just like you did with your brother. Like I, that, that's what I'm hoping will uh, happen more. Uh, and I'm really anticipating the, the reaction from people who, who know nothing about Bitcoin because I mean, as Bitcoiners, we're all biased, but those people are, they are the real, the audience that will prove uh, how successful this this book is and will be. This meme, right? How successful yeah, this meme is, right? Like people, everybody wants to save time. Everybody wants to be able to utilize their time in, in the most efficient way possible and in a way that uh, optimizes for their happiness and enjoyment of life. And so I, I do sort of agree with what you said earlier that yes, orange coin, good number go up, uh, stay humble, stack sats. What the fuck happened in 1971 are all great memes that are very powerful in front of certain audiences. But you, I think saving individual times is something that everybody on earth wants to do. See, you, you're, you're literally opening up the, uh, the understanding, the amount of people who understand that concept to, to a much larger number. Yeah, exactly. As uh, I call the book, it's basically a Bitcoin primer disguised as a self-help book, 
which is one of the reasons why it doesn't have the word Bitcoin in the title. <laughs> I like that. Are you in the self-help book in the Amazon store? That's the way to go. Uh, or is it economics? I think it's economics, but I think you can add, I think you can add more categories, which I'll try to do. I'll put it into the self-help. You yeah. got to add self-help. <laughs> My mom was reading a self-help book the other day. <laughs> um, that's talking about bigger audience. That's a uh, definitely do that. I would say, cause that's a, um, don't, don't confine yourself to the economics world, right? Not everybody yeah, wants to read next, economics next, books. Next day, you know, like all the do-it-yourself people are Austrian economists. <laughs> yeah, James, James Altucher is going to be pumping your book on oh. Facebook. <laughs> One of the reasons I feel like it's, it's so powerful is because time is money is already such an established meme. Like I grew up knowing the, knowing the meme time is money. Right. So to then, exactly. to then just connect that to time is scarce and your money should be scarce, uh, isn't that big of a leap for people. And I think that was, um, yeah. that connection is just, it's just, it's just really, really effective. Absolutely. And I will actually tell you one other thing that kind of relates to this. Like, I remember when I started writing the book, uh, it was last October. I was like, hmm, okay, what should I start with? So I had a bunch of different notes and that I was putting together. And I was like, you know what? The first thing that I'm going to do um, before writing is go back and rewatch this one movie that I saw as a child uh, in the cinema. It was called, and you guys probably saw it because it's a very popular film, uh, In Time with Justin Timberlake. Yes. And sir. yeah, I mean, for those who don't know about it, but. Uh, it's basically the premise is that every person uh, in the world has a digital clock on their forearm saying how many years, days, and hours they have left. So instead of money, they use literal time. So the rich have thousands of or hundreds of years to live, while the poor, they have to usually uh, live from day, day to day. They're forced to work and get paid like just like 10 hours a day like paycheck just to, paycheck, to survive but with their lifetime exactly yeah it was like a it was exactly. a shitty movie that was a great premise no there's yeah, like there's absolutely. that one scene there's that one scene where he's trying to meet up with his mom to give her some time and yeah. she she like her time expires right before they meet by like two minutes right, yeah. just movie. barely yeah, yeah. spoiler yeah. yeah if you haven't yeah. seen it yet sorry. And- yeah, so like, actually, one of my other favorite scenes in the movie is when the protagonist, when Timberlake character, he's surprised when he finds out that the price of coffee has gone up. And he's basically saying, uh, quoting him here, four minutes for a cup of coffee? And his friend is like, yesterday was just three. And then the vendor is like, you want a coffee or you want to reminisce, right? So this is exactly what's going on in our life, right? Yeah. You, well, like... And the price of coffee, for example, in Venezuela has, uh, in, I, I, have a, I had a statistic in the book. Yeah, in 2017, it cost 0.2 bolivars. And just two years later, by 2019, the price rose to 18,000 bolivars. So <laughs> that is very relevant, right? Yeah. No, and, in, and again, speaking of relevance, like right now, the environment we're in now, we're experiencing, at least where I am, we're experiencing some, some inflation potentially hyperinflation of deli meats, right? Uh, my wife went to the deli the other day to get some roast beef and they like warned her. They're like, Hey, it's, it's uh, precipitously more expensive than it was the last time you were here. Like you might want to 
think about buying some or not buying some. Yeah, exactly. They, they, and they have lost so much time uh, during the pandemic and so many clients that they're trying to make up by like, even if there are deflationary pressures, they're still trying to hype up the prices. And uh, well, yeah, you, so like, I think they're forced to, I think it was a supply demand thing from the supply chain. Mm. Um, mm. The deli has been open the whole time we've been here. But um, beyond that, like just thinking of the central banking situation we find ourselves in around the world, not just here in the States, the Maddie Majinxious and Fernando from the Crypto, Crypto Voices podcast released their uh, monetary base um, report. report for Q1 2020. And it increased by 18%. And if you, fa- yeah, yeah. If you factor in like some yuan um, toying, uh, they think that the the estimate could be as high as 30% of an increase of the global monetary base. And, and which that's is only insane. up to March 2022. <laughs> yeah, so we don't even have April and beginning of May. April when was a blockbuster stimulus, month. Yeah, when all these yeah. stimulus reactions really came to play so it'll be interesting to see what they release for q2 2020 and i mean max hildebrand was was on twitter today um warning about hyperinflation is it going to show up and i've I've had people push back on me because i said hyperinflation i tweeted out a couple weeks ago a few weeks ago at this point that hyperinflation is lurking around the corner um, because I think if you shut down all these supply chains, shut down the economy and start airdropping money in people's bank accounts, you have more and more dollars chasing less and less goods that are being produced. I, th- I think we're in a weird situation where people keep saying hyperinflation will never happen. We're actually going to get deflation, but I don't know, man. Do you have any thoughts on this, Monsieur? Uh, I think that eventually... I don't know when, and I don't like. Don't want to predict. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not big on predictions, but eventually, I think inflation is. It's we're just doomed for it, right? Uh, after everything is said and done, after so much money has been printed, there's there's no other way. I mean, it will it will take time for the whole world to adjust and for everything to get back to normal. But after that, I don't. I, that's that's what I think. And right. Bitcoin is prepared really well for that case scenario. Yeah. No, it's, um, <sighs> I hope, and again, I saw you commented on the, um, on the Jeff Booth episode, Matt, about Bitcoin can, can succeed in, uh, without the world going to shit, which I agree, but it may be succeeding because the world goes to shit if things keep going the way they're going great um, episode by the, the way trajectory keeps up thank you yeah that was a great one um ah, it's such a weird time it's such a great time to have this book come out like people are quarantined and wondering what the hell is going on um yeah exactly like i actually i obviously i couldn't plan the release of the book uh for a global pandemic right <laughs> when i was writing it <laughs> last year <laughs> but uh for better or worse, uh, this is this is ever more relevant today, and let's hope that people will be able to find uh, some kind of solace in the information that people like you guys are providing at this difficult and uncertain time. And I think that Bitcoin 
like, you know what? I'm just going to say it. Bitcoin fixes literally everything. <laughs> few, few people understand this. <laughs> and it does like this goes like you, as you had, you tweeted a few days ago, uh, Marty, that, uh, what was it? You, you will say it better. Fix the money, fix, fix the, the money, world, fix, fix the world. world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that, and, and this, this Same is another trick. meme. And, like all these people, all all these people have so many different frustrations about everything, and they and they think that these guys are to blame. No, it's these guys, or it's this thing, or it's that thing. But you know, and that's all on the surface. What's deep inside is the fact that half of everything, your every interaction, your every exchange is absolutely backwards. How can you live in a world like I was thinking uh, the other day? Um, Back in high school, I was learning about economics and we, we had to like learn by heart the definition of economics. And what was it was um, the study of allocation of scarce, scarce resources uh, to satisfy the unlimited wants, right? And I feel like that idea of scarce resources, scarcity, like ever since I've learned that definition, it never really... It, was, it never really appeared again throughout my academic career in college or anywhere else, you know, like unless I was doing my own research uh, outside of class. And it's just so crazy how uh, nowadays economics and people's understanding of what economics is and what it should be has become so um, antithetical to just the definition. Like if it's the study of allocation of scarce resources how can you have qe infinity like it's just ridiculous right and it, the i mean we're seeing it right now that's what i wrote about this morning like the fed is stepping in in the the high yield corporate debt markets right now like how can you ever have good information come to market pricing information specifically exactly if you're all the pumping, signals are absolutely distorted if you're pumping unlimited money like in something that should fail you are extending, you are wasting others' times, others' time by extending the amount of time that those failures get to persist and oh my God. sustain themselves. And that compounds, yeah. and so much time is lost. All right, and it's it's weird. Like then that makes me wonder. Like again, like is there's probably no huge conspiracy, but like do they like how bad is it that they're going to these lengths to keep everything? Uh, in check or at least in a, in a, in a form of stasis, at least a state of stasis. Like, is there, like, how bad is it that they have to do all this and they feel compelled to do all this? Like what happens if they let this stuff fail? Is it ego or are they like really worried about the state of humanity? If, if this stuff were to go down? Yeah, it all sounds very, very unsustainable. I mean, and I, I don't want to speculate on any of that stuff because there is something else. There is something else that you can be more certain about. <laughs> and that's the reason why we're here. Yeah. Um, the blocks are being produced. Blocks are coming in slow now. I'm checking the mempool has got 81,000 transactions. Exahash is falling like 83 exahash a second right now. Fees are up. Fees are up. Um, um, one important thing that we haven't highlighted here is that you intend to sell this book on a not-profit basis, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yes. That's incredible, dude. This thing's going to blow up, I think, especially if you get in the self-help section. 
so the idea is <laughs> you're going to take the revenue and you're going to donate it to Bitcoin devs. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely correct. That's fucking awesome, All dude. Good. Respect. Thank you, guys. Why uh, why'd you decide to do this? Why not make some money from your hard time? Are you not valuing your time here? <laughs> oh, I'm going against my own principles here, right? <laughs> no, because I think that, um, first of all, it's a great way to uh, spread the message because not only do you incentivize to, uh, to, for people to learn about Bitcoin and get, like, I don't know, a piece of educational material that they can share, but also at the same time, they are donating money in order to make this system more uh, more robust and uh, support it. So I th I think that like you kill two birds with one stone, which which is a which is a great opportunity. And yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how much money that will be. That depends on how many uh, copies will be sold. But whatever it is, I think that that could help certain certain developer or certain developers who well, work on who are making this all possible if you hit jk rolling status you could you could literally be the biggest bitcoin dev funder in the world at some point <laughs> <laughs> timeline i want to be in <laughs> right <laughs> uh no no i mean and if if you're stacking sats if you're holding stacks maybe that's uh an investment that pays off more in the long run you're reinvesting in the protocol which increases the value of the sats that you're holding it's an interesting exactly. play here Monsieur. interesting play <laughs> i like it 40 chess <laughs> the other also i'd like to sorry what? the other thing i kind of wanted to touch on uh was so you published this through amazon publishing um yeah what was that experience like would you recommend that to other people who want to release a book you know did you what what were the negatives what were the positives there Mm, yeah, I think I would definitely recommend that experience because I have never, uh, I, I don't know how dealing with an actual publisher really is. And I'm assuming that's, uh, takes a lot of more, a lot more coordination and a lot more people, uh, and probably a lot more time because here you can upload your own book, both Kindle and paperback. You have to, uh, do some formatting of course that will take maybe a few days but all in all uh it's a it's quite a smooth experience and it's i actually didn't know before getting into this whole uh, endeavor i didn't know that you can sit in a room you can write something and you can publish it and then some other people some some amazon people obviously amazon will basically go and print it and deliver it and do everything without you having to ever call anyone or email anyone, which is, which is quite cool. So I definitely uh, recommend people who have ideas about Bitcoin uh, or just ideas in general that they want to share with people to try to use this platform. It's, it was yeah, surprisingly, surprisingly cool. Yeah, it seems like a great way to do it if you just want to get it out there without having to go through that headache of publishing. And then I imagine going through a publisher, like you said, takes more time and then the money aspect. Yeah, that, yeah. That side to be honest, I don't know what kind of uh, cuts publishers take. And I'm assuming that they might be higher <laughs> than those taken by 
Amazon. What's the cut that Amazon yeah. takes? I think it's 40% Oof. off of a... Yeah. Hopefully they, they match your donations um, to the Bitcoin. That's something talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoiners being memers. We got a meme that this book was written by the next JK Rowling into existence. We're going to get in the self-help section first. And then we just <laughs> got to spread the word that the next JK Rowling, uh, normies love Harry Potter. So we just got, Matt's got it behind his shoulder right now. Um, we just got to make sure that we, we get that message out there and we sort of Trojan horse, uh, an educational book on how sound money saves you time in the long run to the masses. I think this is the way to go. This is our marketing strategy, freaks. We let's, need the let's Oprah get on show. It. If anyone knows Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> Oprah I'd like show. to uh, give a shout out to a person who really helped me make this uh, into a reality. It was Gigi. Uh, Gigi. Famous Gigi, the author of 21 Lessons. Ah. He... He has really helped me with uh, the whole process, editing, um, uh, the formatting, then Amazon, because he he has published a book as well, which everyone should read. It's called 21 Lessons. It was actually one of the things that inspired me uh, hearing. Actually, I, I, I heard the audio version uh, by Guy Swan, and then I was like, hmm, maybe I should also write something that could be of use to other people. Yeah. So thank you, Gigi. Shout out to Gigi. Go check out 21lessons.com, right? Um, Love you, Gigi. You can find his book there. Um, yeah, yeah. I, so I was thinking maybe I can read just a small excerpt from, um, I think, one of the last chapters, just so, uh, I don't know, just so you get a feel for what the what kind of stuff you're going to see in the book. Yeah, we're going to get an audio book preview. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, okay, so I think this is from the t chapter 10 or 11. Anyway, so as I already said that uh, you hear about Bitcoin by, by the end of the book. I don't, I, I'm not trying to drill the idea of Bitcoin to the first person who picks up the book in the first second of their, uh, of their reading, right? So this chapter, so I'm going to quoting. This chapter is only supposed to introduce you to Bitcoin. It's supposed to show you that in a world where your money and thus your time is continuously devalued, there's a potential technological solution. In a world where you are forced to work nonstop, where you have to run like a hamster in a wheel, where you have to chase the carrot like a donkey, there's a potential to break free. There's a way to store your hard-earned wealth in something that is finite, in something that is not being constantly devalued through inflation. Unlike any other currency, Bitcoin is designed to value your time. In the time when your money loses its value day by day, your personal data is controlled by a handful of tech giants. Your privacy is stripped for ad revenue. Bitcoin is a breath of fresh air. Falling into the Bitcoin rabbit hole opens up a vast world of knowledge and hope. Exploring Bitcoin has greatly expanded my understanding of various subjects, including economics, banking, politics, psychology, sociology, and many others. It's a beautiful ode to Bitcoin. It's like, it's, it's true. Bitcoin is... Uh, a gateway to learning more about yourself, the world, how it operates, and why you should uh, why you should focus on saving time by fixing the money. Monsieur, I think this is a perfect place to end it. I don't want to drag this on too long because I think we we compacted a lot into fifty three minutes here. Um, unless you have any any last questions, Matt. Nope. Much love, love you, dude. Can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait for our next dinner.
I love you guys as well. You guys are doing Satoshi's work and I will always support you guys. Thank you so much for having me and I hope that Tales from the Crypt will uh, exist for many, many years to come. It shall, it shall, if we don't get kicked off all the platforms. Um, you freaks can go to timeandmoney.co. That's timeandmoney.co uh, to go purchase. This book will save you time by the next J.K. Rowling, Monsieur Mamadoff. That's all we got or this week, freaks. Or you can go on my Twitter, Monsieur underscore Mahmoudov, and uh, then you'll see a link there. That as well. We'll link to all this in the show notes. That's all we got today, freaks. Peace and love.